morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. If you're here for the first time again, great to welcome you. It's good to have everybody with us today. On your seat, there's an outline. If you find that helpful, it's got all the points that we're looking at, and everything will be up on the screen as well. Now, I'm terrified of heights, absolutely terrified of heights, and most of the time, I'm able to avoid doing anything that kind of requires me to be up a height. I even managed to get Matthew to cut my hedge the other week and take the top off, because just going up that too, just too high. These are the things that students have to do when they're on placement. But every now and again, I get trapped in a situation where I just have no choice. And a few years ago, we were on holiday in North Yorkshire, and we decided to drive down what's called the Butler Tubbs Pass. And there are parts of the road where it's just a sheer drop on one side of the road. We were actually coming the opposite way to this photograph. And because of the direction we were driving, we were actually nearest the edge, although obviously as the driver, I was kind of in. But nevertheless, it was just terrifying for me. And... My, my fear of heights just completely causes me to freeze and, and just go to pieces. It's totally debilitating. I don't mind being up high. It's being near an edge. That's the issue. And, and all there was to stop us from plunging down and dying a horrible death, half a ton of steel going to the bottom of that, that pass was just that feeble bit of fencing, which doesn't particularly inspire me as something that would stop us. And as we drove across this road or along the road, and as the drop got more and more severe on one side of us, I was just kind of soaking in sweat, and I was absolutely just kind of feeling sick, really nauseous. It was horrible. And as I was driving along, as far away from the edge as I could possibly go, we were right into the kind of middle of the road. And then every and again, a car would come the other way, and I was like, oh, no, I have to go back across right to the edge. It was horrible. It was really, really awful. And at one stage, I got down to about 10 miles an hour. We were just kind of creeping along. And as pathetic as I am uh, and continue to be, I I persevered with lots of encouraging words from Claire. The kids in the back were were silent, were very gracious, didn't mock me. They they did afterwards, but they didn't at the time. And I persevered, and we eventually got to the end of the Butler Tubbs Pass, and I, I swore that I would never, ever drive that way ever again. I have come the other way on the inside road, hence this way, but I've never, ever driven back that way ever again, never will do. The following year, we were in Lanzarote, And we decided to drive home one day via a scenic route, only I hadn't realized that there was again a a sheer drop and it was actually much worse. It was much higher, much worse than the Butler Tubbs Pass. It was horrendous. I managed to drive a little way and as I could see what it was going to be like, I just said, there's no way I can do this. This is not happening. So we, and and I was was anyone insured on the car, so we had to turn around. Fortunately, the three-point turn was at a stage where the road wasn't too narrow and we had to go back and go all the way back the way we'd come. In the Butter tubs pass, I'd, I'd managed to persevere. I'd, I kept going to the end, but not in Lanzarote. In, in, Lanzarote, I, in Lanzarote, I bottled it. Persevering on a journey is really, really important. And persevering in the journey of life is even more important, especially for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus and profess that he is their Lord and Savior. Persevering to the end is a really key doctrine in the Bible. It's easy to profess our faith in Jesus, maybe at a church service to say, yes, I believe in Jesus and and kind of pray a prayer and all that kind of thing. That's not difficult to do at one level, but it's far harder to keep going every day and keep going all the way to the end and persevere right until the finishing line, as it were, whether that's when Jesus comes again or when we die. We professed our faith in Jesus, but is Jesus worth it? Because all sorts of challenges and situations will crop up and will occur in our lives, which will test whether our faith is genuine. Is my faith in Jesus? Is the faith that I profess, is it real or not? Because the circumstances and situations of life will determine that and will bring that into the light. Is Jesus worth it? What happens if we get sick or lose a loved one? We sang, blessed be your name. 
when you give and when you take away, I will still choose to say, blessed be your name. What happens if we face opposition? What happens if we, pay, if we face persecution? We thought about that, didn't we, just a few weeks ago. The terrible persecution that many of our brothers and sisters around the world face. And Hebrews 11 in the New Testament of the Bible is all about keeping on going right to the end. And in fact, this, this theme continues into chapter 12, which Keith will be bringing us next week. Even when we face all kinds of challenges, opposition, problems, and, and maybe even real persecution as well. It's about taking God at his word and believing that the promises he's made in the Bible are true, even when that's really difficult to do, and even when we don't feel like it. It's a whole chapter listing the great heroes of the Old Testament of the Bible, describing how they live by faith. They heard what God said to them, and then they staked everything on what they'd heard. As we saw last week, Hebrews 11 verse 1 defines faith like this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In response to God's message to us in the Bible, we choose to believe that what he has said is really true, and then we build our whole life upon what we've heard from God. Faith comes from hearing the message, Paul says in the book of Romans. And a really helpful way of remembering what faith means is this, something I learned as a kid in Sunday school, which is this, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. Faith, I, I can't necessarily prove it, but I believe that God is real. I've read it in the book. I've, I've heard the message from God, and faith comes from hearing the message. And I can't necessarily prove everything in here, but I believe, I've chosen to believe that what God has said is true. And so I will forsake or I will turn away from everything else to trust him. That is what faith is. Faith comes from hearing the message. We then forsake everything to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And it's vital that we do that because as Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And the big picture of what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying is this in chapter 11. And it's really simple. Keep going to the end. Don't give up no matter what you face. Persevere. Keep going to the end no matter how difficult it gets. Now, how does, no matter how steep the drops are on the road as you drive along. Be sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Fix your eyes on Jesus and keep going in that journey of life, no matter what it throws at you or how difficult it is. Last week, we read the first seven verses of Hebrews 11, and today we're going to read the remaining verses. So we're going to read Hebrews 11, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip to verse 8, and then we're going to read right down to the end of the chapter. So if you've got a Bible handy, I encourage you just to turn with me. We're going to read it, and I'll read it to you. Hebrews 11 verse 1 and 2, and then down to verse 8. This is what he says. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, and he's referring there to all the great heroes of the Old Testament. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful 
who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when tested him, sorry, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect." Now, we're not going to have time to deal with every Old Testament character that's mentioned in this passage, but we're just going to focus on some key ones. And the first one is Abraham. He was living in what is now modern-day Iraq. And God commanded him to leave and to journey to head off to what is now modern-day Israel. Abraham heard God speak, and in response to what God said, he demonstrated his faith, left his home behind, and spent the rest of his life living as a nomad in a tent. He never put down complete roots. He was always just living as a foreigner and a stranger. Verse 8 says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. 
He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham went on a great journey, which lasted for the rest of his life. And Abraham's physical journey is used in the Bible as a, as a great spiritual picture of the, the life of what a follower of Jesus should look like. We're called to leave behind our old life when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And to follow out and to set out and to follow Jesus until, like Abraham, we reach our heavenly home, the heavenly city that God has built and prepared for us. Now, for some of us, that might actually physically mean leaving where we live and, and going to a different place. For Claire and I, that meant uh, for, for us being called by God, and we went to live in Hereford for eight years to help plant a church there. And, and it might be that God has been speaking to you and is calling you to leave behind your current life and, and maybe even your current location like we did. And if God has been speaking to you to do that, then can I encourage you to be obedient? and step out in faith to whatever it is that God is asking you to do. And even if you're not exactly sure what God is saying to you personally, I would rather respond in faith and get it wrong than not respond in faith when I should have done. God is pleased when we live by faith and step out in faith, and he rewards us when we live like this, even if we might not have heard God properly. Far better to respond to what we think God has said in faith than to ignore what God is saying. But for most of us, it's not about physically moving. It's not about necessarily leaving where we are and going somewhere differently. But it is about spiritually moving. So what does that mean? Well, what it means is that we no longer consider this world our home. We put our faith and trust in Jesus, and then we live for the rest of our lives as if this world is not our home. We're now just foreigners and strangers passing through. Our home is in heaven. And that means that we live like a foreigner who is just visiting this world. We're just passing through. This is not our home. We're not staying here permanently. We believe in faith that we now belong to Jesus, and we're going to spend eternity with him. And so we act and behave, or we should, like someone on a journey just passing through on the way to somewhere else. We still live here, but our faith in Jesus and in our final destination, that eternal city that, that, that the writer talks about here, means that we don't live by this world's standards, and we don't put roots down in this world. This isn't our home. Heaven is our home. We're just passing through. In faith, we believe that we have another home ahead of us, what the Bible calls the city of God, a city that God has built, where we'll be with God forever. So we hold, or we should, hold our possessions and our money and our careers lightly, ready to give them away whenever he asks us to. Because by faith, we believe that we're just passing through, and they're just loaned to us for a short while to use them to the best of our abilities for his glory. Verse 13 says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The writer goes on to talk about the faith that Abraham and Sarah had in, in response to God's promise that they would have a son. And through that son and his offspring, the whole world would be blessed, God had said to them. 
Verse 11 says, By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. But when this son was miraculously born to them in their old age, that they faced a, a, a massive, incredible test of their faith. Because God does test and refine our faith, partly to prove whether it's genuine or not. And so God told Abraham to take Isaac, his son, the, the fulfillment of years of promise, of waiting and believing in faith, and to put him to death and offer him up as a sacrifice. And that must have seemed bizarre and crazy to Abraham, if you think about it. Given that they'd waited so long for this son, and that they believed that through this son was going to be the descendants that would go on uh, to bless the world, ultimately Jesus would descend from this son. God was going to bless the whole world through this promised son. Abraham also knew, obviously, that murder was wrong. And God detested the child sacrifice that the, the nations around Abraham in the land of Canaan, the promised land, uh, took part in. So why on earth was Abraham prepared to go through with this? Well, it was the logic of faith, according to the writer of Hebrews 11. Abraham had reasoned the matter out. God had not only promised that he would have many descendants, God had specifically said that it was through Isaac that these descendants would come. But Isaac wasn't even married at this point, and he certainly didn't have any children. So if God was now asking that Isaac be put to death, and yet had promised that Isaac was going to have children of his own, that could only mean that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham had heard from God that he was going to bless the world through Isaac's descendants, and so in faith he was willing to risk everything on what God had told him. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And the author's big point here is this, faith in God doesn't mean or insist that if God loves me, then he's got to save me from difficulty, disease, and death, and tough decisions. That's not what faith in God promises. Faith in God does not equal health, wealth, and prosperity. Instead, it's the belief that in our case, God has said that nothing in this world, not even death itself, can ever separate us from the love of God or from the fulfillment of his promises. Most important of all, fulfillment of that final promise to be with God forever. No matter how hard or difficult our journey through this life might get at times, and even if it means death itself, well, ultimately it will for all of us, faith in God is the certainty that spending eternity with him in what the author calls in this chapter the heavenly city is a rock-solid certainty. Biblical faith isn't just the idea that, you know, if I just believe hard enough, or if I just had a bit more faith then all my problems would go away, including sickness and death. It's the belief that my sickness and death are partly about testing and refining my faith to see whether I really believe what God has said about my eternal destiny. Is my faith really genuine? And we see that with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. When Isaac approached death, he still hadn't seen the fulfillment of God's promises. But as he blessed his sons in his dying days, what he was doing was demonstrating that he believed that God would do what he said he was going to do, which was bring a whole nation and give them a land, a land of promise, the promised land, through which he would bless the whole world through the ultimate descendant, Jesus Christ the Lord. 
Verse 20 says this, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Isaac's son Jacob demonstrated the same faith. The same faith as he approached his final days. His family had grown, but there were still only about a hundred of them in the kind of extended family. It was nothing like what God had promised. But he blessed his grandsons, demonstrating his belief in God's promise. And in his last hours on earth, he worshipped God, kind of leaning on his staff, it says here, but still worshipping God, showing that he was still trusting in God right to the end of his life. He was finishing well. And like us today, he still hadn't received what God had promised him, but he kept on trusting God right to the end, and his faith in God and in what he'd promised didn't waver. And his son Joseph was just the same. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Now, Joseph had become the prime minister or the kind of second in charge of the most powerful nation on earth at the time. He was the kind of vice president of the USA. He was the the vice president of Egypt. And yet he knew that like his ancestor Abraham and and like us today, he was just passing through. Egypt wasn't his home, wasn't his permanent home, wasn't his forever home. Joseph was demonstrating his faith in God's promises to take the people of Israel up out of Egypt and then into the promised land, even though the Exodus didn't take place for another 400 years after Joseph died. His actions in asking that his bones be taken up when the Exodus happened proved that he believed in faith. His faith was real. His faith in, was still in God and his promises right up to the very day that he died. He still believed that God would do what he'd said he was going to do. Despite being the second in charge in Egypt and being incredibly successful there, he still saw his identity as being with the nation of Israel and not as an Egyptian. He wanted his bones buried in the promised land, not in Egypt. He knew he was just passing through. This world in Egypt wasn't his home. And the author's point is that Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, as they follow in Abraham's footsteps, their father and grandfather and great-grandfather, they are fantastic examples of what it looks like to be just passing through and to persevere to the end of our life, to finish well. They're all deeply flawed individuals. If you go back into Genesis and look at their lives, they are deeply, deeply flawed individuals, particularly Jacob. And yet they all put their faith in God, and, and and they were still living by faith when they died. And that encourages me because I'm a deeply flawed individual. Any of you who know me a little bit will know that I'm deeply flawed. And I think we all have lots of issues and problems and, and flaws in our lives, don't we? And yet, it's not us that matters, it's our faith in God. It's not our faith so much that matters, but the object of our faith. That we put our faith in Jesus and He is faithful. And we, we persevere to the end and we keep on going with our faith in Jesus. And the point is this, it's really important that we not only start out as a Christian, but that we persevere to the end and that we finish well. It's no no good starting out if we then fall away. We need to persevere to the end and finish the race well. Our sister Anne Hodgson, who died recently, was a wonderful example of somebody who didn't just start her race, but finished her race well. Her faith in the Lord seemed to grow stronger the closer she got to death. What a wonderful example of someone who persevered to the end. Moses was another deeply flawed character, and yet he's also a great example for us. Verse 24 says this, By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 400 years after Joseph, Moses also found himself a second in charge, second in command of Israel. He wasn't an Israelite. He was a, he was a, a, a Hebrew. He was an Israelite. He wasn't an Egyptian, but he'd been brought up as Pharaoh's son. And yet Moses chose to live by faith and not by sight. He could see all the stuff around him, all the wealth and riches and power, but he didn't put his, he didn't kind of focus on that. Instead, he focused in faith on God. He believed the promises of God regarding Israel. And so he chose to walk away from the wealth and the power and lead God's people up out of Egypt. And the author's point is that we too need to be ready and willing to walk away from wealth and position and security and power if that's what's involved in being faithful to God. Are we living as if this world is all there is? Or do we really believe that this world is temporary and that we're traveling to a heavenly city that God has prepared for us? If we do, then we'll hold the things of this world very lightly and be willing to set them aside and leave them to go and do something bigger and better. Does the way we live, like Moses, demonstrate our faith in God and his eternal promises, or do we live as if this world is all there is? Am I living by faith, or am I living by sight? And as we continue on our life's journey, the author wants us to know and remember that the struggles and the battles that we face as we're kind of running our race are primarily spiritual rather than physical. They might have a physical manifestation, but the reality is that everything is spiritual. Absolutely everything in this world is spiritual, and we're in a spiritual battle day by day. Paul says that our, our battle isn't against physical things, it's against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Verse 30 says this, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. We are in a spiritual battle which requires us to, to have, or, or by faith, to fight with spiritual weapons. And as the nation of Israel left Egypt and then 40 years later entered the promised land, they faced this massive obstacle of the fortified city of Jericho. It was right in their way as they were going to go in and take the promised land. But God had told them that the answer to this physical problem wasn't a physical answer. It was spiritual. They were to march around it for six days. And then on the seventh day, they were to march around it seven times. And as they blew their ceremonial trumpets, the walls of Jericho would come crashing down, which is exactly what happened. But it must have taken immense faith to do that, mustn't it? Particularly for the leaders who were the ones kind of telling everybody else to do it and stepping out in front. Instead of engaging in, in siege warfare, which would have been the logical, rational, physical thing to do, they did what must have seemed crazy to the defenders of, of Jericho as they looked out and saw these crazy people marching around once a day for six days and then seven times on the final day. They must have wondered, what on earth are you doing? They must have felt pretty stupid, I guess, too, walking around you know, with, with the Ark of the Covenant and, and blowing the trumpets and all that kind of stuff. But they had heard what God had said to their leader, Joshua, and, and in faith they did what seemed crazy. And the walls came crashing down because they stepped out in faith. And we too will face all kinds of Jerichos in our lives, seemingly immovable obstacles. And according to, to God, the weapons that we're meant to fight those obstacles with are not physical primarily, but spiritual. Our primary weapons are prayer and praise, prayer and worship. But to pray requires faith. To attend a prayer meeting requires faith. 
A prayer meeting, if you think about it, is crazy. If, if, if you came in and, on a Sunday night and, and saw us in, in groups praying, you'd think, what on earth is going on here? People are sat around with their eyes closed talking to somebody who's not here. It doesn't make any sense. It would be kind of crazy if you walked in and if you didn't have a Christian faith. But that is faith in action, isn't it? Think about it. Every time we pray personally or when we gather to pray, we're, we're demonstrating our faith. We believe in what we can't see. It's the certainty of things hoped for, and it's the, it's the guarantee that what we, we can't see is real. Faith in action. And our enemies and obstacles are primarily spiritual rather than physical. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't use our brains and our intellect and abilities to, to tackle problems that come our way. But our faith primarily and our weapons primarily are spiritual, and our primary weapon is prayer. So what do we put our faith in when, our, when we face the enemies and obstacles of this, of this world? What's our, what's our go-to strategy? What's our go-to response when we face problems and difficulties, when we face the Jerichos of our lives? Do we really believe that God exists and that he wants us to pray to him in faith? Because if we do, then we will pray individually and we'll come to prayer meetings. If we really believe that the obstacles that face this church are dealt with spiritually by spiritual weapons, we will come and we will pray, praying to the invisible God who hears our prayers and rewards those who earnestly seek him. Having listed some of these great heroes of faith who risked it all for God and kept on going until the end of their lives, living by faith as those who were just passing through, the author of Hebrews rattles off a whole list of great people who achieved amazing things for God as they lived out their faith by putting it into action, amazing people for us to learn from. But then he changes tack. Look at what he says. There were others who were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. We, we tend to focus on Hebrews 11 on the first part of the chapter, don't we? You don't tend to hear many sermons on the people who spent their lives running around in sheepskins and, and hiding in caves in the ground. We, we tend to focus on these great heroes of the faith like Moses and Abraham who did amazing things. But then we get to verse 35, people who put their faith in God and yet as a result suffered terribly, just like some of our brothers and sisters around the world today do as they live for Jesus. And the author says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They had great faith, but most of them from a human perspective achieved nothing. If you'd said, were they successful? You'd have said, no. They were a church leader in the modern world. You'd say, well, there was only 10 people in their church. They weren't a success. Not as successful as the guy with two or 300. They, they achieved nothing. Jeremiah, who's one of the people that's referred to here, he was a disaster, humanly speaking. He didn't achieve anything. And yet he was faithful to God. They certainly weren't successful, humanly speaking. And it's really important that we understand that there's a difference between faith in what God has already said and will do, specifically things like his existence, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the second coming and eternal life, and faith in what we believe God can do but may not do. We should step out and pray big prayers, having faith in God doing big things. But we must understand the difference between these two situations. The Bible has got a lot to say about having faith that God can do and does do miraculous and amazing things. And it encourages us to pray for miraculous things to happen. And so we should. But that's not the kind of faith that Hebrews 11 is talking about. What Hebrews 11 is talking about is belief in what God has already said in the Bible and then building our whole life 
on that truth, on that foundation. That is the kind of faith this chapter's talking about. Other parts of the Bible talking about stepping out in faith in other ways, but this is about continuing to have faith in God and what He said and promised, even when everything we do goes wrong. It's about continuing to have faith in God and what He said and promised, even when we lose our job, or when, we, or when our plans don't work out, or when that cancer diagnosis comes. And that's because whilst God does sometimes do amazing and miraculous things in our lives, the greatest thing he's done is secure our eternal destiny through the death of his son, the Lord Jesus, on the cross, which we're going to celebrate and remember in a moment. That's what this chapter is all about. It's about faith, being sure of what we hope for, achieved for us by Jesus, and certain of what we do not see. So that we build and we live our lives built on God's promises rather than what we can see around us. When the great heroes of the Old Testament died, most of them hadn't received what God had promised them. And they were in the same boat as we are today, I guess. And and that's why this chapter finishes with these words. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Being made perfect is about our completeness and perfection when we're finally with God forever in that heavenly city, that city with foundations whose architect is God. That's our destiny, and that should be our focus. Faith is about fixing our eyes on Jesus at the finishing line as we run the great race of life. It's about choosing to believe that what God has said in his word is true, and so we keep on going no matter how difficult or hard this life is. And we may or may not see great miracles and amazing things happen whilst we're here on earth in response to our faith. But that isn't the focus of Hebrews 11, and it shouldn't be the focus of our life. If we, if we build our lives upon the miracles of God in our life, sooner or later, God won't do what we've asked him to do, and we'll be disappointed. That isn't the focus of Hebrews 11. Yes, we should absolutely step out and pray big prayers and, 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 and look to see God do amazing things. But if God doesn't do amazing things, we should still say, blessed be your name. He gives, he takes away. We still choose to say, Blessed be your name. We're being called by God to focus on eternity and live as those who are just passing through. And because we have that eternal focus, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, it should mean that whilst we're here on earth, our faith is demonstrated by our actions. Faith without actions isn't really faith. Until one day, along with all those great heroes of the Old Testament who put their faith in God, we will spend eternity with him, enjoying him forever as our great reward. God is our reward. Being with God forever is our great reward. We're going to sing now, by faith we see the hand of God. And then Paul's going to come and lead us as we take communion together. But maybe as just as the band are coming up, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for what you have said to us and spoken to us, the message that we have in your word, the Bible. We thank you for all the wonderful truths that we read and can hear and can see and can know about. Help us, we pray, Lord, to build our lives upon those rock-solid certainties. Help us to step out in faith and live this life just like we're foreigners, just traveling through, visitors, not staying here permanently. Help us to fix our eyes on our great reward, being with you and enjoying you forever. Father, give us more faith, we pray. Help us to trust you in the small things and in the big things. Help us to persevere. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus to the very end. 
until that one day we will be with you in that eternal city, along with all these great heroes of the faith that we've read about this morning. Lord, we look forward to meeting Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these great people. But even more, we look forward to meeting you, Lord Jesus, as we see you face to face. And so, Lord, we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.